Tonight I want to begin with just a simple thought, a simple uh, idea for us to consider, and I hope that it will help illustrate where the message is headed and what I think uh, needs to be said from the text. I also think it's interesting that it will correspond a little bit with the testimonies that were given just a moment ago. As we get into the text, it'll probably, hopefully, become a little bit more clear as to why I've said that. But I want to I want you to imagine tonight that uh, I'm involved in a project at the house. Okay, I'm involved in a project in the house where I need to cut some wood, I need to uh, put some things together, etc. And so as you stop by the house, as you come by the house, uh, you see that I am making these cuts with one of the old school hand saws. You remember what those are like? Some of you have used them, I'm sure, but the long blades, you know, and they were wobbly and they would bend on you and they would get in a bind very easily. Okay, so you see me trying to make all these cuts in the boards with an old handsaw. And watching me for a few minutes struggle with that, imagine that you say to me, you need to get you a skill saw. Life would be so much better for you and life would be so much easier for you if you would just get you a skill saw. So suppose I came back to your statement with this statement. I've got one. I've got one. You might say to me, you've got one? Sure, I've got one. It's in the closet. You might then ask me a follow-up question like this. Well, why aren't you using it? And here's what I would suspect, that no matter what reason or explanation I gave you, it would not make sense to you. Why are you sitting here wrestling with this handsaw? Why are you sitting here going back and forth, back and forth, laboring more than you have to when you've got a skill saw available to you? Why are you doing this to yourself when, when you have something better available to you? Uh, you would question my thought process and you would question my reasoning. Why am I not using what is available to me? That in mind, this evening, I want us to look in verse number 15 as we do. I want us to consider a couple of things. Here is a Jew writing to fellow Jews. As we look in verses 14 through 16 tonight, to be honest, I don't know exactly who his target audience is in the specifics as to whether or not this is uh, a message directed at the unbelievers or the believers. I tend to believe that this is directed to believers, okay? Some would vary from that opinion. Some would have a differing opinion. But I believe that the writer right now is trying to communicate to believers, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse number 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, I think many of us are familiar with this portion of Scripture. I think many of us have heard this verse many, many times because this is one of the verses in Hebrews that is more popular. It's one that has... Uh, gained more attention just because people have a better understanding of this maybe than they do other verses in the in the book of Hebrews but he says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and so if you think about it for just a moment I want us to consider this idea that we could flip this around and we could say it like this okay from the perspective of the writer 
that we do have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Okay? He, he makes the statement from this perspective that we have not an high priest, but we could also say it like this, and it be true to the Scripture and true to the thoughts and true to the ideas, that we do have a high priest which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Many of you probably know what I'm about to share tonight, and this may not be new to us. Others may not be aware of this, so just go with it in whichever category you're in, that's fine. But whenever he speaks of the high priest, what image did that conjure up in the mind of a Jew? Well, the high priest in the life of a Jew was the only individual who under the Old Testament law and the Old Testament religious system, the high priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies and stand between the people of Israel and God himself. The high priest was the only one who could make that sin offering for the people of Israel that took place once a year. And it was a very serious occasion. It was a very serious time in the life of the high priest. And if you read about the ritual that goes into that went into that, if you read about all that was required of the high priest before he went into the Holy of Holies and, and did what he did there in the, in the presence of God, you understand just how important and how significant it is and what the writer says is this, is that we have or that we possess this high priest. And we'll see in just a moment that in verse number 14, he's talking about Jesus, the Son of God. So he says in verse number 15 that we have a high priest. We understand from verse number 14 that that high priest now is Jesus, the Son of God. And he says that is what we possess. That is what we have available to us. And he says of the high priest that he is not one who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And so if you look at these words, here's what you understand, is that the writer is conveying this truth, that our high priest, that being Jesus Christ, the one who intercedes on our behalf, the one who stands between us and God, he is not one who is not touched or affected by our infirmities or our weaknesses. The writer is declaring that Christ, as our high priest, can identify with every weakness and frailty known to man. Jesus Christ, because he came to this earth, took on the form of man, put on flesh, left everything in heaven that he left to come to this earth, Here's what the writer reminds his audience of and would remind us of this evening, obviously, as we go through the passage, that Christ can identify with everything that you and I have identified with and that our weaknesses and those things that we struggle with, the, the, the things that we have experienced that would serve as a disappointment or a discouragement, whatever it may be, Christ is aware of every bit of that. So if you think about it for just a moment, it would mean something like this, that Christ as our high priest has known pain of all different types, because as you know, there are many types of pain. 
He has known loss. He has known need. He has known sorrow. He has known agony. He has known betrayal. He has known disappointment. He has known discouragement. You name it, Christ, as our high priest, has experienced it. He can identify with it. And he understands what you and I, as individuals, deal with on this earth. Because, again, he experienced it during his days on earth. As you look in verse number 15, he says, not only is he one that cannot be touched by, or he is not one who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but he says, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What does it mean that he was tempted in all points? It means this, that he experienced testings and temptations and trials just like you and I. And again, we know that to be true, do we not? Read through the Gospels, read through the, the story and the life of Christ, and he experienced everything by way of testings and trials and temptations that you and I have experienced and dealt with and go through on sometimes a daily basis, sometimes a weekly basis, etc. So he says that he was in all points tempted like we are, yet for him, thankfully, he did so without sin. Whenever a testing came along, whenever a temptation came along, whenever a trial of any sort came along, here's what Christ did. He always responded appropriately to the situation. So if there was a time of disappointment, if there was a time of loss, if there was a time of discouragement, if there was a time of betrayal, if there was a time of departure, if there was a time of agony, whatever it may be, as he was experiencing this because he was man, and as temptations would have flooded the mind, as temptations and struggles and testings and trials would have hit him like it hits any other person, thankfully, because Christ is God... He did not sin in the midst of those moments and in the midst of those testings. That being said, in verse number 14, he said this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast our profession. Now again, in verse number 15, this is what we have. Okay, we have a high priest that cannot be touched, etc. So he says in verse number 14, Seeing then that we have this high priest, let us hold fast our profession. What does it mean to hold fast our profession? Well, what you believe about salvation and what you believe about certain doctrines is going to no doubt influence a person's position on this. Some would be of the mindset and some would be of the position. Well, that means that you have to hold fast and you have to hold tight to your, to your profession of salvation. I don't believe that that's what the Scripture's teaching. Okay, I don't believe that I have to hold tight to my salvation because if my salvation is determined upon my grip... I'm going to lose my salvation. 
I don't have the strength and I don't have the ability to hold fast and to hold tight enough to my salvation. So I, I don't see how the Scripture could be indicating this at all. So what does it mean then to hold fast to the profession or to our profession? Well, okay, it does mean to hold tight to something. It does mean to, to seize something, but the, pro- word, the word profession is dealing with this thought, is dealing with this idea. It is that which you claim to possess. That which you claim to possess. So it would be like me claiming to possess a skill saw. It would be like me claiming to have that which I need, but it's in the closet, okay? I'm claiming to have this, but I'm not holding fast to it. I'm not using it like I ought as a believer. See, as a believer, here's what I know. As a believer, here's what I understand. I have a great high priest. I have one who stands between me and God. I have this this intercessor for me, that being Jesus Christ, and he understands everything that I deal with on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis. He understands everything I deal with. He understands everything you deal with, every temptation, every trial, every, every struggle. He identifies with it. Now you and I, we profess to have this available to us. And seemingly the audience that he was writing to in their day professed to have the same thing available to them. So his encouragement and his challenge to them was this. Hold fast to it. Seize it and grasp it. Take advantage. Use what you have available to you. In verse number 16, he says this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. What does it mean to come boldly? It doesn't mean to come with arrogance. It doesn't mean to come with the wrong attitude. It doesn't mean to come with the wrong spirit. It doesn't mean anything other than this. It means, let us therefore come with a sense of confidence. A sense of confidence. To what? To this throne of grace. This throne of mercy. This throne of favor. Here is... God, okay, here is the one who created the world, which was dealt with in chapter 1. Here is God, the one who made us and formed us and fashioned us and, and established us. Here is God, and he sits upon his throne. Who do we pray to? We pray to Jesus Christ, who serves us as our high priest, the one who stands between us and God. And he says, now listen, you claim to have this in your possession, this relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. He said, here is what you do because of that. You get a hold of that. You lay fast to that. You hold fast to it. You seize it. And not with arrogance and not with the wrong attitude or a wrong spirit, but with confidence. Go to that throne of grace. Why? 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That we may obtain mercy. What does it mean to obtain mercy? It means this, to obtain or to acquire the the kindness and the goodness of God. The idea would be something like this. God, I'm going through something, and God, I'm dealing with something, and God, I need to know your mercy right now. Lord, I need to know your goodness. God, I need to know your your kindness to me. God, I need your mercy. God, I'm in a time of need right now. I need your grace. God, I need your favor. God, I need you to do something on my behalf. I know that in and of myself, I don't deserve it. In and of myself, I know that I'm not qualified for this. God, I know, I know that, I again, I don't deserve it. But I have a high priest who is Jesus the Son of God. And I'm not coming on my own. I'm coming through my high priest, Jesus Christ, who understands everything I deal with, who understands everything that I've experienced, who understands all of my struggles, all of the testings, all of the issues. And God, I am coming boldly, confidently, to your throne, that I may obtain, that I may acquire your grace and your mercy in this time of need. I want us to think about something for just a couple of moments, all right? Just bear with me and see if this makes sense in your mind. The writer says to fellow Jews, seeing then we have a great high priest. We have it in our possession, so we say. Let us therefore come. Why do you think the writer said in verse number 16 because of what we claim to possess let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace I don't know if your mind thinks the way that my mind thinks but here's what I think the only reason you would tell someone to do something is if they were not already doing it Does that make sense? I can't tell you tonight, sit down, because that instruction wouldn't make sense. You're already seated. I I can't tell you tonight, you need to be in church tonight, because you're already doing that which I would be instructing you to do. But see, if, if 
there was something you were not doing that you needed to be doing, if there was something you ought to be engaging in, but you were not engaging in it, for whatever reason, that would be the time that I would encourage you and that I would challenge you to do something. And so here he is writing to believers, or what I believe to be believers, and he is saying, now listen, this is what we have, a great high priest, this is what we claim to possess. Now, friends, if that is what we have, and if that is what we claim to possess, then you know what we need to do? We need to start using it and taking advantage of it, because seemingly there were some, at least in his audience, who were not taking advantage of what they had available to them through their high priest, that being Jesus Christ. So if they were not going to God through Christ in their time of need, then what were they doing? They would have had to have been resorting to something inferior to try to get them through that time of need. It would be like me resorting to the old handsaw, trying to get through it with the old handsaw, though I had something available to me better and superior. See, that would be me, you know, it would be me being satisfied or trying to get through it again with something inferior. Now, believers, we have a high priest who understands what it's like to be in our position. He understands our infirmities. He understands our weaknesses. He was tempted in all points, like as we are. Yet he didn't sin. Now, stop trying to go through life dealing with the weaknesses you have and the struggles you deal with, stop trying to go through this some other way when you have Jesus Christ as your high priest available to you. I don't know if any of this makes sense, so you may not be able to answer the question in your mind, but I want to ask you if it does make sense wonder how many of us can identify with what the writer was saying to his audience. So I don't know exactly what you mean. Well, I mean this. We claim to be saved, do we not? We claim to be saved. By default, whether we've ever thought about this or not, that means then that Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest. He cannot be touched or... or he is not one that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points like as we are. It's as true for us as it was for them. And yet I wonder sometimes how many times we as believers don't go to God in our time of need seeking His mercy and His grace. I don't ever do that, one may say. Let's consider that. 
in the last seven days have any of us worried unnecessarily about anything? You know, worry. Let your mind get consumed with something that as of right now is all hypothetical and at best a future tense possibility. We're struggling with worry. We're struggling with doubt. We're struggling with, with these different thoughts and, and emotions and feelings. And, and we're doing this. Why? Because as individuals, we are weak. And many times we, we succumb to the weaknesses of our flesh. So I wonder how many of us in the last week, maybe in the last month, we have found ourselves worrying. We have the throne of grace available to us. We have the throne of mercy available to us in our time of need. But rather than coming to the throne of grace and the throne of mercy in that time of need, we find ourselves worrying and worrying and worrying and worrying and worrying, so much so sometimes that we make ourselves sick over things that have no business making us sick or anxious or uptight. I wonder how many of us have needed direction in our lives for something weighty, for something serious, for something significant. And as we have needed the direction, as we have needed God to make His will known in this time of doubt or in this time of uncertainty, I wonder how many times we fail to take that need to the throne of grace and the throne of mercy. I need direction. I just, I, I need to know what God wants. That's what I need in my life. Okay, you, you have a great high priest that cannot, that, who is not one that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands the weakness. All you've got to do is go to him. Yeah, I know, but we don't go to him so many times for the direction and the leadership that we need. I wonder how many times, and maybe this has never happened to you, but I wonder how many times we have wanted victory over a particular sin in our lives. And we want it, we want it real bad. But not bad enough to take it to the throne of grace. And that throne of mercy in that time of need. I mean, have you ever said something like this? I'm going to fix that. I'm going to change that. We might even throw something spiritual in there to the statement, kind of like this. By the grace of God, that won't be said of me anymore. But we've never made it an issue at the throne of God. 
We're not praying about it. We're not beseeching the Lord about it. We're not coming to Him and saying, Lord, you understand my weakness. You understand my frailty. You understand, God, what I'm battling with. You know, it seems like it's a constant battle of the mind. It seems like it's a constant battle of the anger. It's, it's a constant battle of the emotions. It's a constant battle of this, whatever it may be. It's a constant battle of discouragement. God, whatever it is, I wonder how many times we're trying to get through life with an old, worn-out, dull blade, so to speak, when we've got everything we need available to us, we're just not holding fast to it. We're not seizing that which we claim to have. We have this high priest and we have the throne of grace and the throne of mercy that we can go to and yet we're not taking advantage of it. But we may sit here tonight and say, oh, but Brother Kyle, I do. I, I do take advantage of it. I, I, I pray all the time about this, whatever it may be. I think the wording here is important. I think it's... I think the words were not just flippantly placed in the verse. He said, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Let us come with a sense of confidence that God will do what God is capable of doing and that God wants to do it because our high priest is standing on our behalf, seeking to obtain the grace and the mercy that we need in this time of need. Again, I don't know if I'm being clear on this, so I don't know how you'll answer the question, so I'll just throw it out here. But how many times do we pray, but we don't have confidence as we approach the throne of grace? We go to God with that which worries us, and what do we do? We get up with the exact same worry we went down with. There was no confidence that we were about to obtain the grace and mercy. We just knew we were supposed to pray about it, but the doubt so filled our mind, we were sure that it wasn't going to change anything, and so... We prayed about our worry, but we got up and we picked our worry right back up with us. And we carried our worry with us throughout the day, but yet we're able to say we prayed about it. You identify with that at all? I wonder how many times we've gone to the throne of grace and we've said, Lord, I need direction. God, I, I need your insight. God, I need your leading on this. But when we got up, we were still determined somehow we needed to make this work. God, you know what I need right now. You know that I need clear direction. God, what would you have me to do? Then you get up from that time of going to the throne of grace but because you did so with no sense of confidence that you would actually find the grace and the mercy that is available, we assumed that as we began our day, 
I've still got to figure this out myself. How many times have we prayed and said, Lord, I need victory. God, I need victory. But yet we went right back to the excuses we have always had and we have always used because we didn't really believe victory was available in our situation. God, you give victory to other people. I know that you do. And God, you give victory to other people. And, and God, other people have defeated certain sins in their lives. And other people have, have gotten you know, over this and past this and moved on from this. And, and they don't struggle with this anymore. I know that. But, but God, this is something I've been struggling with and dealing with for a long time. So we pray about it, but we don't really do so with a sense of confidence in our lives. You know what we're doing? We're not taking advantage of that which we claim to possess. We claim to have this high priest who will help us in this time of need. We would tell others, you know, I couldn't make it through life without God. And yet so many times that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to go through life without the Lord, without His grace, without His favor, without His mercy, without His kindness. We're trying to go through life in an inferior fashion because we don't go to Him as we ought. Or we don't go to Him with the confidence that we ought. told Susie this week in a conversation we were having and there was a, a context to it not anything related to anyone in this room but we were talking about a situation that she and I are familiar with and I said what is it about us and by us I mean collectively as, as our segment of denomination so to speak I said what is it about us that we don't expect anything from God anymore. We don't expect victories. We don't expect things to happen. We don't expect God to really move. We don't really expect things from Him like I believe our denomination once did. Why is that? I think because we've lost our confidence in him. So, oh, Brother Kyle, I haven't lost my confidence in him at all. Not at all. We never find ourselves saying something like this. It just seems like he's not. It just seems like he won't. I don't know what it is, but he hasn't. And, and it doesn't seem like he's interested in it. I mean, can we honestly say that every time we kneel before the Lord, we kneel before Him with this great boldness and this great confidence that we'll get from Him what we're coming to Him with? The writer says, this is what we have. And this is what we claim to possess. And if this is what we have and if this is what we claim to possess, then you know what you need to do? You need to start taking advantage of it with a sense of confidence 
that God will give you the grace and give you the mercy in that time of need and not assume that you have to go through life somehow doing this on your own and fixing this on your own. I don't know. I don't know if you struggle with it or not. But I think it is human nature sometimes because of our weaknesses, because of our infirmities, because of our sinfulness. I think we struggle with it, if we're honest, more times than we'd care to admit of either not taking our needs to the Lord or not taking them to the Lord with the confidence that we ought. And this evening, all I want to do is to, is to challenge you and to say, we have this kind of a high priest. We have one who understands our weaknesses, our frailties, who understands the struggles that we have. He understands all of it because he experienced all of it. The difference between him and us is he did so without sin. But we have this available. And we need to go with confidence, believing that we will get from him what we need and that we do not have to go through life in an inferior fashion. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know what the thoughts would be of your people tonight. I don't know if many, if, if any, would be able to say that they struggle with this, that they can identify with it. But Lord, there may be some, and I pray that you'd help those. I pray that you'd help me to pray with more confidence and with more boldness, that you give what we need as we need it, when we need it, where